0: Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking fasted cardio, breakfast, and eating before bed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 93 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast. Today, we are going to talk about fasted versus fed state cardio. Do you burn more calories or more fat when you're doing fasted versus fed cardio? Is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Does it stoke your metabolism? How does it affect your blood sugar? And does how late you eat affect your progress?
1: All right. What are we starting with? Fasted versus
0: fed? We're going to start with fasted versus fed state cardio. Okay. And I will kind of preface this by saying that automatically right off the bat going into it, I actually going into looking into this and and just, you know, updating myself on the data around this. um, I, I think my my stance has always been I always eat something before I do any type of workout. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I I was just always, you know, I came from the bodybuilding school of thought of, I, I want to preserve lean mass and Mm
1: -hmm. I don't
0: want to, um, I just don't like working out fasted. It just doesn't, it's never anything I did. But what I will say is that there are different people, especially even in the, in the competition world, there are different people where some people will do fasted cardio every day and Mm -hmm. other people won't. And both of them seem to be successful. So right off the bat, from a practical standpoint, Mm -hmm. I never thought that it was necessary to do fasted cardio, um, even without looking at any of the research, but diving into it and talking about kind of where that methodology came from and where some of the science began and where it evolved to, I think is important in this conversation, Nicole. Yeah. And figuring out, you know, kind of because there are still some people out there that'll be like, you've got to do fasted cardio, especially with the development of intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. People are like, you should work out fasted and you should not eat until, you know, X o'clock, whatever that time is. Mm -hmm. And you'll be more wildly successful. And you and I, Nicole, have done a podcast on intermittent fasting and Mm -hmm. our thoughts on that. And if you want to hear about that, Just scroll back to I don't remember what number it is, but if you scroll down and find, you know, the words intermittent fasting or you can probably Google keyword search Eat Right Nutrition podcast intermittent fasting and I'm sure it'll come up. Mm -hmm. Um, But today we're going to talk a little bit about fasted versus fed state cardio and where the hypothesis around the benefits of fasted cardio came from. So. There are two mechanistic hypotheses that are surrounding the benefits of fasted cardio. And the first one is mechanistically speaking, when you look at how the body works, when insulin levels are low in the morning, when you're fasted before you eat, essentially that's what's happening is when you're not, when you're in a fed state, insulin levels go up, particularly if you're eating carbohydrates Mm -hmm. and When insulin levels are elevated, that essentially inhibits lipolysis or breakdown of fatty acids. So it has this suppressive effect on breaking down of fatty acids. Therefore, if you don't eat anything and insulin levels are low, then you are going to free up fatty acids and be able to burn them. Essentially, that's how the body works. Now, the second piece to this is also has to do with glycogen. And because glycogen levels are lower in the morning, your body will have no choice but to break down fat and use it as fuel. Now, from this standpoint, I would probably argue that glycogen levels aren't completely de- depleted in the morning unless you had a really hard workout. You didn't eat before you went to bed and then you fasted for eight hours while you slept, then maybe your glycogen levels would be super low in the morning. But it's, it's highly unlikely that you've depleted all of your glycogen while you're while you were sleeping at night. Would we mm-hmm. agree, would you agree with that, Nicole?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: In any case, these are the two mechanistic standpoints that this whole these this hypothesis kind of stands on or this theory stands on. That's so, the reasons
1: why people think they should do fasted cardio.
0: Yeah. And mechanistically speaking, it makes sense. Now, here's the thing with research is me- mechanistically speaking. A lot of things make sense. Right. Nicole, you and I have talked about supplementing with L-carnitine, for example, I'm going to bring this back into it because mechanistically speaking, L-carnitine moves fat into the mitochondria. Right. It sounds like it works. But then in practical application, you're like, oh, well, supplementing with L-carnitine doesn't increase fatty acid oxidation. Mm -hmm. So in that case, right, it's the same thing. It's like, well, this kind of makes sense. And this is the reason why we test these things. Yeah. So let's talk about what the research says. And this research dates back to, I think it was like 1978 or 1979, some, some like late seventies doing fasted cardio does seem to increase fatty acid oxidation during the bout of exercise. So when you are working out fasted, like we said, insulin levels are low, so you're going to burn more fat. So therefore you use, you do technically use more fat for energy when you are doing cardio fasted. There are studies testing this using respiratory exchange ratios, which essentially what happens is you look at uh, different ratios. If you're closer to 0.7 in that respiratory exchange ratio, uh, that means that you're burning predominantly fat. If you're closer to 1.0, then that means that you're burning predominantly carbohydrates. So that's how we kind of test that. Mm -hmm. And we measure fuel utilization during exercise. And it shows that when training fasted, you are predominantly burning fat as fuel, And when you eat, particularly when you eat carbohydrates, you're burning predominantly carbs for fuel. And this is obviously due to the presence of carbohydrates, which uh, increases insulin, which causes your body to utilize more uh, or or not utilize fat and then utilize more carbohydrates. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: However, that doesn't necessarily mean, and, and this was more recently tested, right? We're talking late 70s. So from the late 70s, really up until 2011, we really kind of thought for that time span, like that's it. All right. Science is settled. It's all good. However, when you look, when you fast forward to 2011, a study on the influence of food intake on respiratory ratio and excess post-oxygen consumption after endurance training, so after you're doing cardio, showed that even though you burn more fat as fuel during the exercise when fasted, the body seems to compensate by burning less of that source of fuel for the next 24 hours. So Mm -hmm. if you're burning more fat during your workout because you did a fasted workout, you are going to burn less fat during the rest of the day than -hmm. you would have had you have worked out in a fed state. So there's a compensation mechanism that's going to kind of offset that. Now, fast forward, and and really, I think the big question is always, will I lose more weight doing fasted cardio versus fed state cardio? Because, you know, technically I'm still now mechanistically, I've explained to you why it theoretically kind of wouldn't because of that 2011 study. But now let's look at a 2014 study by Brad Schoenfeld and colleagues that showed body composition changes associated with fasted versus non-fasted aerobic exercise. And it was the first study to measure weight and body fat between groups. And what this study found, essentially what they did was they had two different groups. Each group did one hour of cardio three times a week, either fasted or fed. And both groups were, it was isocaloric. So both groups had the same calorie deficit. Essentially, what he did was they did a Mifflin equation. They said, "Okay, this is your estimated uh, energy expenditure for the day. And let's based on that with the activity factor, all the stuff that you plug into that equation based on that. Now, let's put you in a 500 calorie deficit. So everybody was put into their own 500 calorie deficit and no significant difference between groups over the four week period. The study suggests that what matters most This is what Nicole, you and I talk about all the time is the total caloric intake in a 24 hour period. That is what is going to matter when you're looking at fat loss. How many Mm -hmm. calories are you consuming and how many calories are you burning? Regardless if you're doing fasted or fed state cardio, that's not going to matter as much as the deficit.
1: Yeah. I think what, when you, when you talk about, when we were talking about this offline and I was thinking about it, if you burn more in the fasted state with an hour of cardio in the morning and then less throughout the day, or that's you. And then I do a fed state cardio and I burn less within that hour of my actual exercise, but more throughout the day, it's still the same amount burned equally throughout the day. You're just burning more in the one hour of activity fasted than I did in my one hour of activity. It's isolated right to that cardio session.
0: I'm burning more fat. Right. And then, and that's, Again, right. back to that compensation that it's the, what the research shows is that there's a compensation mechanism and I'll burn if I burn more fat in that workout session in that session, then mm-hmm. I'm going to burn more carbs for the rest of the day.
1: Right. So equal it, in my opinion, or from what I've read and what we've talked about, <laughs> it's like everything else. It, it, it may be more in that one hour session of cardio but it's isolated, it's just that one session versus the bigger picture throughout the day. And I feel like a lot of people get very caught up in, and we talk about this a lot, The you say it all the time, that one hour of exercise compared to the 24 hours in the day isn't gonna out, you know. It's uh, not gonna um, outpace,
0: it's not gonna it's out, outpace yeah. the rest of everything else. That, if you're yeah, overeating
1: or under exercising. So, you know, when you think about it in the big picture, rather than just the individual session or the three individual cardio sessions, is it worth doing in a big picture setting? Like, is it really that much of a push to create more fat burn, quote unquote, fat burn than if you just, you know, even had a snack, something light? No one's saying you have to have like a four course breakfast. I could never do that during cardio, but I also can't not eat anything to do cardio.
0: Yeah, so Nicole, you say, is it worth it? And that kind of makes me think about who is the population that we're looking at here? Right. So the thing I want to bring up here is the, the Brad Schoenfeld study from 2014 was a four week study. So in a short, in that Mm -hmm. month of time, what's going on there, uh, and, and is it making a difference? Um, and then also, you know, I'll reference, there's a 2017 meta-analysis on this that compared five different studies. And each of those studies was four to six weeks, same end results. Right. But what I'll say to the point that you're bringing up, is it worth it? And I guess we have to look at for who and for what population. population. So so one question that I kind of think about and that many have proposed is, is it going to matter with the populations and in in that period of time? And is it also going to matter based on how much body fat do you have to begin with? Right. So some people might potentially argue Now in, in the Brad Schoenfeld 2014 article, the average body fat was about 25% for women, which is slightly over where we would want it to be, right? We would want 22 Mm -hmm. to 23% for women in terms of body fat is what's considered the normal range. And Mm -hmm. then a little bit below that, maybe 17 to 19 might be the athletic range. I don't know. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. Right. So if we're looking at people that are slightly leaner or have been doing it for a prolonged period of time, is there potentially yeah. going to be a difference? I don't really think so. I think even if we do have data that comes out on that end, I, I really don't think that it's going to be anything more than a negligible difference. Right. Uh, and then when we're looking at population, so if we're looking at average population, it's not going to matter either way. If you have 25% body fat or 30% or 40% body fat, it's not going to matter either way. If you're a competitive athlete, right. let's say a competitive bodybuilder, I guess the question is, do we see a difference with people who are athletes that are already at a low body fat percentage? Like, is it going to make a difference for them? I, I, based on the information that I've seen, I don't think it is, but I would like to see that studied in a different population. You get know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I don't think so. Like, I'm just going to throw my opinion right into the loop um, because I've seen many competitors. And so have you that not that have not done fasted cardio and they went pro cards and they do great. And so if it was that much of a change that made it like an edge to win, well, then wouldn't we see that even in the way people are competing? You know, and we don't some yeah. do some don't and i really do think it's based off of the person and how they feel and then you talk about fed my question is well what's fed is fed a full meal is it a certain amount of carbohydrates is it a snack like well, fed, what do you we mean can by say, fed
0: well fed we can say i mean i can technically say that fed even if you're not eating carbohydrates if you have some amino acids that's going to have an insulin response too so even if you just had so protein you're saying, in you're yeah. yeah let's just come let's just say fed versus that we can obviously we can talk Uh, um, almost like get a little more nuanced here (laughs) and say, okay, well, what if you're having protein or what if you're having protein and fat or what if you're having protein and carbs? Like, is there going to be a difference based on the on the on the um, composition of the meal? But honestly, like, no, you're saying
1: if (laughs) if it creates insulin response, it's fed.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the technicalities, like I don't even want to get that deep with it and say, okay, okay, (laughs) okay, well, like what is the difference in macronutrient compositions? Like, I don't even think anybody's ever going to go that deep.
1: Yeah,
0: see, but, I like to go deep. All right. Moving along. <laughs> all right. So, uh, some additional talking points on fasted versus fed state cardio is because when you look at it, there's kind of like two camps here, right? There's a camp that's like, all right, you need to do fast, fasted cardio. And then there's the camp that's like, you shouldn't do fasted cardio and you need to maintain muscle and you need to be anabolic and you'll be catabolic when you wake up in the morning. And therefore you should, You won't maintain as much muscle mass, uh, from the data that we have, we don't see any significant differences in muscle mass doing fasted versus fed state cardio. Now I will say if you are in a, and this is just my thoughts and my opinion on this, if you are in a larger calorie deficit, right. Going back to the competitors and and people in that field, if you're in a larger calorie deficit and you've been dieting for a long period of time that might affect muscle mass even greater. And what I will say is ultimately it's kind of a, it's a, it's a preference thing. That's what it's going to come down to. Um, But if you are going to do fasted cardio, make sure that you are accounting for your total protein for the day and your Mm -hmm. protein feeding frequencies, even if you're doing that fasted cardio. So going into that preference piece, Nicole, some people do work out early in the morning or some people do their cardio early in the morning and they just don't feel like eating. They're like, well, yeah. I'm nauseous because I'm eating too close to my workout. Yeah, I don't yeah. feel good when I do it. So yeah. I'll go as far as to say you, at that point, do what you want. It's fine. Yeah. It's not going to matter either way. I like working out fed. I, I can't I can't see myself not doing that. But I know plenty of people that do it the other way. And they're like, well, I can't work out with something in my stomach. Okay, fine.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't ever force anyone. I'm not a believer in force feeding. Like, I think if you're good and you're comfortable getting up and getting your workout in without food, knock yourself out. But just make sure post-workout you are getting something in and starting your day off with the appropriate food post-workout, I guess.
0: Yeah. So Nicole, that kind of goes into, uh, like like that 24 hour window thing. Like we've talked about this before, where if you are, you have kind of a bigger window than we used to think in terms of the anabolic window, you used Mm -hmm. to think like you have to have something right after your workout. Now we're like, ah, you can have something a few hours later. It's not really going to matter. Um, from a muscle protein synthesis standpoint, but to your point, if you are eating if you're, if you're eating before your workout, you'll still have some amino acids left in your system afterwards. If you fasted Mm. all night.
1: Yeah. And all before you work out,
0: and then all before you work out and then you worked out, it would be, I think wiser to eat closer to your work. It would be yeah, optimal, I guess is a better word. It would be more optimal to eat closer to your workout. If that's the case and you end up deciding to do fasted cardio. The next topic I want to talk about, and this is kind of similar to what we just talked about, but some different talking points here is breakfast, the most important meal of the day. And there have been some thoughts around breakfast and your metabolic rate. So we're going to talk about that. There are also some studies floating around there on the effects of skipping breakfast and hunger. And there are also some thoughts on whether or not you're going to eat back those calories. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into that. And I want to start by saying that the the notion that breakfast is the most important meal of the day was actually started before any of this research came out. It was it was the root of it is not based on research. It's based on a 1917 published article by John Harvey Kellogg. So the guy who's selling you breakfast
1: Yes, it was
0: like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So there's some marketing there, I guess, behind Mm -hmm. that. But just because it was pushed by John Harvey Kellogg doesn't mean that it's not necessarily true. And we Mm -hmm. have to look at the different situations and we have to look at the current research. So the first question that I'll say, and this is something that I think previously has been proposed, is that eating breakfast every day is kind of we we kind of look at and there's two things that I want to say about this, Nicole. There's there was always the thought that you know how if you think of like your metabolism as a furnace and when you feed your metabolism, it boosts your metabolism. Yeah.
1: So this is where the word important becomes.
0: Well, that's part of that's part of the reason. Right. So when we're, we're when we that's that's why people used to say, well, you need to eat small, frequent meals throughout the day because that keeps your metabolism burning because essentially your metabolism is like a furnace and you're, you know, shoveling coal into that furnace Mm -hmm. every time you eat. And then that's stoking that fire. So essentially what we're looking at here with breakfast is kind of the same thought that, well, we're kickstarting that fire by eating breakfast in the morning and that's boosting your metabolism. What we know today is that that's not true. So you're not kickstarting any fire when your (laughs) your metabolism doesn't work like that. And by eating small, frequent meals, that's not making a difference either. So what, what what I'll look at here is a 2014 study on the causal role of breakfast in energy balance and health, which showed no difference in resting metabolic rate between groups. However, there was a difference in energy burned during the workouts. And what's thought is that there's a uh, compensation from the perceived deficit. Mm-hmm. So you're there. If you eat breakfast versus not eating breakfast, your resting me- metabolic rate is the same. But then if you go and you work out, your body's like, ah, well, I'm not really fed. So I'm going to burn a little bit less calories. And that is why this kind of ties also back to. Yeah. Fasted to the fasted cardio because what this study actually shows is that if you're working out fasted, you might burn slightly less calories.
1: Mm -hmm. What I find interesting about the question of whether breakfast is important, like part of the day, is like, don't unless you're someone that Monday through Sunday wakes up at the exact same time and eats breakfast at the exact same time, would that really be something that I would go, Well, that's important to you because you do it that way every day? But I mean, during the week, I wake up probably three or four hours earlier than I do on the weekend and I still eat breakfast. But it's a different time frame. Right. And breakfast to me is between seven and twelve or six a.m. and twelve. Like, what's your window for breakfast? That's a what big that?
0: that's a big gap. I, for, I it's know, a, but it's lunch I starts at noon. So nowadays I usually wake up and I have work to do in the morning. Either I have mm-hmm. either I have early morning clients. Mm -hmm. or I have to do whatever assignment I need to do and get out of the way in the morning.
1: Do you do you eat breakfast at the exact same time every day?
0: There's a window. It depends what time I wake up.
1: Right. So I guess my point to bringing this up is I find it interesting that it's whether or not it's important or not isn't whether you have a window of time that you eat between seven and 12, that's breakfast to me. Like clients will come in and be like, I don't wake up till 830. So I eat breakfast around 930 or 10. I'm like, "Okay, well, that's breakfast for you. Well, The question
0: of whether or not it's breakfast. So okay, so we'll look at it like this. Right. We'll define it here. So the breakfast is technically your first first breaking the the fast, breaking the fast. It's your first meal of the day. But if we looked at it in terms of let's give it a more practical definition for. Okay what we're talking about here is eating something within an hour of waking up.
1: Okay. Fair. That's a better way. Okay. Right. Now so I let's,
0: understand. let's yes. call that the quote unquote breakfast because traditionally that's how people yeah. think, right? So okay, does eating something within an hour of waking up, does it boost your metabolism? It doesn't, there's no, there's no difference in, in metabolic rate. And there's also a uh, compensation from perceived deficit. I mm-hmm. will say that there are some studies that will show you do tend to eat back more calories if you worked out fasted, but you don't eat back as many calories as you would have. So it still kind of creates a bigger deficit, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, um, because you're not eating back a whole full meals worth of calories on the tail yeah. end. So that it's, it's kind of like you have this compensation from the perceived deficit where you're burning less throughout your workout. But then when you're eating back more calories later in the day, you're not eating back as many. So there's kind of a balancing out effect there where, where it doesn't matter. What this is saying is essentially it doesn't matter. You're still burning the same number of calories throughout the day. If that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that was like the long way around that, but. (laughs) um, That the effect of skipping breakfast on hunger is really going to depend on the individual too. If we look at hunger, hormones, hunger cues, Mm. Uh, we're we're saying if you're somebody that is hungry when you wake up in the morning, then you probably shouldn't skip breakfast. And Nicole, I think this is kind of a little bit to your point. If yeah. you're somebody that is, is, is hungry in the morning, like, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. And if you're somebody that's not hungry in the morning, like, oh, I just can't. Why, eat would, you why yeah. would you force it? Why would you force it? We, we kind of went over the effects on calories eaten back. The, the, the results are kind of mixed, but what's thought is that you will eat back more calories later in the day, but it's not going to amount to more. So you're still going to have that deficit. We're talking calorie deficit here. The other piece that I want to talk about, Nicole, is and I, I think this is an important piece to touch up on, especially when we're looking at I don't know what we're what are we looking at these days, like 65 percent of the population. Uh, either diabetic or pre-diabetic or expected yeah. to be diabetic, yeah. which I, we one could argue potentially more than that because not everybody's getting tested regularly.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we, we could maybe make a case that it may be 75, 80% of the population pre-diabetic and, and diabetic. And that's, that, that's, that's a lot. That is a lot, yeah, right? So I do want to talk about that because I have kind of dove into previously some research on this. Um, So what it's what is found is that there are higher blood glucose fluctuations seen from people that skip breakfast versus non skipping breakfast. It may be accounted for by the fact that you're eating more calories later in the day. So your next meals are larger. Mm -hmm. But what I do know, in terms of people with glycemic control issues, meaning blood sugar issues.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: If you have issues with glycemic control, the wisest thing for you to do, one of the recommendations is to consistently have the same number of grams of carbohydrate all throughout the day, right? So if you eat three meals a day, if you eat four meals a day, it's actually probably wiser from a glycemic control standpoint to have breakfast. This is where I think it's going to matter. If you don't have any blood sugar issues and you know, and you've gotten tested and you're good. Okay, cool. But if you do have issues with blood sugar, having breakfast, let's say you have like 40 to 50 grams is your range per meal. So if you have 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrate in breakfast, and then your second meal, and then your third meal, and then your fourth, if you have a fourth, then that is going to be, I think, more favorable Mm -hmm. in controlling your blood sugar, getting your diabetes or pre-diabetes under control, yeah, And then obviously we also factor in what, what's the rest of the composition of the meal. Are you having fat with that meal? Are you going to have protein with that meal? How are you going to mitigate that um, insulin response and glucose response? But um, I do think that uh, this, you may, you may have a greater, a better outcome in terms of glycemic control. If you are consuming breakfast versus balanced.
1: Meal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. If it's a little more, if you're trying, if you're unstable and you are trying to create stability, having a consistent amount, each meal makes perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah. And then the next thing is talking about exercise performance when it comes to eating breakfast versus not. So it Mm -hmm. depends on what type of a workout you're doing. Like if you're going to go and you're going to do yoga or you're going to go out for a jog, uh, you'll be fine doing that. Um, Or if you're going in and it's like, let's say it's like a deload day or a deload week and you're not really working out too hard, not having breakfast really isn't going to affect you. But if you are really pushing, let's say you're trying to do a one rep max or or you're doing a more intense workout, you're trying to build Mm -hmm. muscle in that work, you're really trying to produce an outcome in that workout and some some good adaptation there uh, or you're doing a sprint versus doing a jog, not having breakfast is obviously going to affect uh, peak performance. So you're Mm -hmm. not going to perform as well as you could. So just something to keep in mind in terms of whether or not you're going to have breakfast. Uh, And then from a hypertrophy standpoint, I always like to kickstart the day with some kind of a protein Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of, you know, there is there may be a potential for some muscle breakdown uh, while you're sleeping. So I always opt to eat something, especially before I work out. Like I said, I have to work out.
1: Fed. Fed. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody has their preference. You have to know your body and understand how you function and what works best for you. But these are all very valid points in terms of like baseline approaches.
0: All right. And then Nicole, the last thing that we want to talk about today is the timing that you eat dinner Mm -hmm. and does it affect you? And this is a question that I still get. And this is a misconception that I still get is that you are burning less calories when you sleep Therefore, you shouldn't eat past a certain time. And for some yeah. people, they think it's six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, whatever time they think it is. I'll tell you from a metabolic activity standpoint, what's going on. So metabolic activity while you're sleeping, what what sh- is shown is that your energy expenditure decreases during the first half of sleep by approximately 35%. What we also find is that you have an increase during your REM sleep. So when you're dreaming apparently that takes a a significant amount more energy so basically what happens is that you have these fluctuations in energy expenditures throughout the night because with the the way if you know how sleep works is you go in and out of deep sleep so you go REM sleep deep sleep REM sleep deep sleep in your deep sleep you're burning less calories and in those cycles of REM sleep you are burning more calories because it takes more calories to dream so actually that's like your lighter sleep is your REM sleep right Mm-hmm. So that is where you're you're going to burn more calories. What this particular study concluded was that uh, at the very least, it does not appear that the average overall energy expenditure during sleep is any different than resting metabolic rate during the day. And I will tie in, Nicole, I did a video about this way back. Yeah. Um, and this was one of the early videos, like before <laughs> a camera, before a microphone, before I was... You know, even I feel like force myself to make content. The video, what I did essentially in that video was I used the uh, metabolic equivalent of task, and I used the formula. Kind of the formula is kind of like what you would do for we talk about it all the time a Mifflin equation, right? A Mifflin equation, you plug in your age, your height, your weight. Your sex, uh, your activity factor, right? And essentially the metabolic equivalence formula has the same kind of thing. It has an activity factor for different activities.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: will say, on average, somebody of your uh your weight and kilograms and how many hours of sleep you plug in there, right? So it tells you how many calories you're burning throughout the night. And then you can figure out how many calories am I burning per hour on average when I'm sleeping. So the metabolic equivalence for the task that you're doing being sleep was 0.95. And I plugged that in. And what I found was that it's estimated that I burn about 758 calories while I'm sleeping, which is greater than any meal that I would eat before I go to bed anyway, right? I might have a meal that's like five to 600 calories. So what that's saying is, I'm gonna burn that while I'm sleeping. I'm not gonna slow down to the point where I'm not burning the food that I'm eating. And listen, people will talk about, uh, insulin levels, right? Because insulin will sup- suppress fat oxidation and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, what's going to matter is in a 24-hour period, and that matters with all of the things that we're talking about today, what's going to matter is in a 24-hour period, are you consuming less calories than you're expending? Are you in a calorie deficit? And are you consistently in that deficit on a day-to-day basis? That yes. includes weekends, That includes on a month to month basis, right? If you want to lose body fat, you need to be in a calorie deficit. It's not going to matter what time you eat. Um, there might be some, and this is me kind of recapping everything that we just talked about, uh, from an exercise standpoint, it might affect your performance. If you're looking at peak performance eating before, right? Like when you're eating. So that's where meal timing, nutrient timing, you kind of have to be smart about it. Uh, -hmm. and then also, uh, I will say in terms of sleep from a, What's going on when you're sleeping from a metabolic standpoint, if you're working out during the day, you actually have a greater rate of fat oxidation while you're sleeping because you worked out. And this probably has to do with elevated resting metabolism from that workout and the fact that your body has to repair and recover while you're sleeping from that workout. So if you're working out on a consistent basis, you can even add uh, a little bit more for your uh, energy expenditure and fat oxidation uh, due to that. But overall, Nicole, what the data shows is a lot of it depends just like anything else, Um, but fasted cardio versus fed state cardio is not going to make a difference for the average population. For most people, whether Mm -hmm. or not you eat breakfast, I think makes a bigger difference and has a bigger impact on people with glycemic control issues, like we talked about. And then the time that you eat really doesn't matter. You can eat unless you have digestive issues, you can eat uh, pretty much right before bed. I mean, I I eat pretty close to bed uh, mm. or at bedtime, and, and it's just how my day is structured. And I, when I'm done working, I'm hungry and I'm like, all right, I need yeah. to eat something, fuel my body. And that's maybe an hour to an hour and a half before I actually lay my head down to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that there should be a cutoff that people are thinking about. Like, I can't eat past 6 p.m. And also, Nicole, from a practical standpoint, if you stop eating at 6 p.m. and then you find yourself ravenous at 12, you're more likely to binge eat and Mm -hmm. eat things that you shouldn't be eating. So the safer bet would be also to eat something a little bit later on and not have like a five, four, like a four to six hour gap in which you're not eating before you go to bed.
1: Yeah, agree.
0: With that being said, If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week.